Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 126 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. At some point, I'm going to stop probably using the number of the episodes. I kind of got a long play on this one, but uh, that's a total side note. Now, a while back, uh, I was a guest on Barbend's podcast. Really cool. I have written for Barbend. It's a brand that I have a uh, utmost respect for. I aspired to write for Barbend. And along the way, I got to meet the, well, co-founder, and I guess now your title is Head of Brand, uh, David Thomas Tao. We got to meet in New York at my fr our friend Kenny Santucci Strong, New York. And uh, it, was, it was surrounded by you, Eb Samuel of Men's Health, who is booked for a future podcast. And uh, Jeff Tomko, of, well, he's written for a whole bunch of stuff, but he's my editor at Muscle Fitness as well. So quite uh, quite a cool company that we we had there. Anyway, it's a real pleasure to have you on. You guys just got acquired. Like, There's some massive news. And so a little bit of background about Barbend. So you, you co-founded it in 2016. And there's just some notes you've had up on your website. But you guys got 1.4 million users in year one, which sounds really astonishing. So it's definitely a big success story. So I think one of the things I'm kind of fascinated with is I, I wanted to pick your brain on how it got started. But what, where did you see the opportunity? Like, why did you see, okay, there, you got your teen nations, you got your muscle fitnesses, you got your flex magazines, you, and you have the decline of traditional print magazines. And then you got Generation Iron, which probably owns more of that bodybuilding space. And what, what was missing for you to say, this is what we want to do? And was this something that had very humble aspirations? Or were you like, no, nah, we're going to make this thing monstrous? Well, Andrew, first off, Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to to chat. I loved having you on our podcast. So it's it's nice to turn the tables. And it's really fun to to guest on podcasts and talk to talk a little bit about Barbend. And I think the first thing that I tell people about the origins of Barbend, um, you know, I was the co-founder and I have two fantastic co-founders. Um, and they we each brought, I think, very different skill sets to the table to make Barbend a success, which we'll, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think the important thing to note is that Barbin was born out of my personal frustration for not having the website I wanted to go to. And I think that I was calling myself a strength nerd before a lot of people were calling themselves strength nerds because I am just a huge nerd and I'm interested in strength. I have a background in weightlifting and then I got involved in CrossFit, actually did some media work for CrossFit HQ, you know, full disclosure. Um, and we're talking way, way back. We're talking 10 years ago at this point, over 10 years ago at this point. And as I was going... Through this, I was. I also have a journalism background. I was working for um, financial print, uh, financial publications, kind of while print was really consolidating and, and going under in, in a really kind of scary way, and no one really knew what the future of media was. I have initially or eventually realized that I had an opportunity or could build an opportunity to combine my love of strength, strength training, and strength culture with new opportunities in the media space. Barbin started in early 2016. I first had the idea and brought it to my co-founders in late 2015, which is also when we came across the name. And that was a time when media itself was undergoing a lot of revolutionary upheaval. I mean, these this is a time when all sorts of print publications, not just in fitness, were going under, or print publications were moving from a weekly to a bi-weekly or to a monthly. You had, quote-unquote, new-ish websites and media properties like BuzzFeed starting to take up market share and prove that you could be a big company and you could be a media company. Now, BuzzFeed News recently recently closed, so so that's like kind of an interesting kind of an interesting antithetical point to what I'm saying. But it was at a time when folks thought, okay, the old Vanguard of what used to be print publications that then were the first to move online, they may survive in some digital form. But it could be time, and there may be space for new reputable publications, the rub being that they would have to prove that they're reputable. And I thought there was opportunity for that in strength because I had a background in weightlifting. I was involved in CrossFit, but I had an interest across the world of strength sports. I wanted to know what was going on in Strongman. This was, by, by the way, at a time when they were purposely not leaking world's strongest man results. And you had to wait like seven months to figure out who was winning. Oof. It was at a time. Yeah. 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 It was that. Yeah. I mean, it's very different today. And actually Barbin, we I'm proud to say we've been a big part of that. People forget this because same thing with the Olympia results, right? I mean, now you mm -hmm. get the stuff instantaneously. Whereas I mean, shit, you had to wait for like whatever months issue of flex magazine to find out who won the Olympia. So we Even take for granted how much this has changed. 
even back when in the early days of Barbit, you know, there were some great resources. For example, open powerlifting continues to be a great resource and has long been a good resource. But I think powerlifting is is a great example because even back in early 2016, if you wanted powerlifting results for smaller competitions, regional competitions, international competitions, it was kind of good luck, buddy. Maybe you could text someone who was there or you'd have to wait till they came out in some small esoteric print magazine. Nothing wrong with a lot of these print publications that survived or a lot of these smaller websites. They're really labors of love and I have a ton of respect for them, right? And we've, I think we've done what we can to support a lot of those creators over the years. But there was no one place where I could, as a consumer, and as someone who appreciated strength, culture, and the community around strength, go and get my news, and certainly not a place where I could get my news, my training advice, my reviews, and all of that under one umbrella. Now, that's not to say that even today, Barben publishes everything that's relevant in strength. You and I were talking a little bit before the recording about how Barben can go even broader, and we can go even deeper in the content we're pushing out to be useful to the strength community. But at the time, there was really no place. I was kind of cobbling together results for my own education and out of my own curiosity at the time. And I thought, well, what if I just did this professionally? And what if we could package this as a real media company? We might be onto something. And spoiler alert, we realized pretty early on, I mean, you said we got, like you said, we got 1.4 million readers our first year, you know, six Six years later, in 2022, we had over 31 million readers. Mm-hmm. It was pr- it was proven pretty quickly that people were really interested in this stuff, especially if you could put it in one easy to read central location. And those early the early iterations of Barbend, it 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 it's kind of similar to what it looks like now. It's not like the the page has changed that much, but it was really across the top. It was like weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, strongman. Other, We didn't have a bodybuilding tab at the time. We didn't really start covering bodybuilding until around 2020. But you came and you could just toggle by sport and you'd get the news, the results, the training, the op-eds. It was all under one umbrella. And I think that our timing was good in that people really appreciated that. And no one else was doing it at the time, at least not in that way. And I don't think anybody still does it at the scale. And I think you hit on the key thing. It's timing. And it's hard to take this, I mean, there are valuable lessons within here, and I want to try to extract as many of them as possible, fundamental principles of success. But there are certain elements of timing. It kind of goes back to, you know, the, the early days of computer accessibility and coding and the fact that people like Bill Gates, whatever your feelings are on Bill, uh, <laughs> that's complicated shit that I won't go to your near, but or like Steve Jobs and some of the other people of that era, your, um, your Google founders, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, they had the earliest access to this stuff and a lot of hours. So it, it's sort of a a, mis, a slight misunderstanding of the 10,000 hour rule, but it's relevant. But they were the ones that were at the inflection points where there was a major shift. And realistically, you guys, your timing was perfect because major inflection point where there was a, a significant shift in the way social media was emerging, the growth and the popularity uh, of CrossFit, the explosion of popularity of strongman probably around that time, and other weightlifting sports, powerlifting has certainly grown. And it, I think it is a bit of a perfect storm in terms of timing and the way that social media, media as a whole was manifesting with the subsequent decline of print magazines. So there's that. Now, what what are some of the, like, the key principles in terms of the way you guys approach it initially, the way you guys have continued to operate, whether it's cultural, whether it's your, your attitude about building that transcend the timing that a a trainer listening to this who has bigger ambitions to build something could say that would be valuable to me. I I'm going to use a word that I think could trigger a lot of people, but I want to explain why I'm using it. And the word is inclusivity. And I don't mean inclusivity in a way that gets tossed around politically. I'm not trying to make a normative statement about that or, or, or to like talk about school curriculums or anything like that. <laughs> You're that's good. not that's that's not my goal here. But I think of it like this: you walk into there are a lot of really good gyms in the country, and I had the good fortune to walk into some of the best training facilities in the country. And I mean like training facilities where people are doing real training uh, day in and day out across strength disciplines or you know across other sports as well. And between 2010. In 2015, I trained in a lot of those places, traveled around, had some really cool opportunities. And one thing I noticed is when I would go into these places, there would often be powerlifters, there would be strongmen, 
there would be weightlifters, and then there would be CrossFitters. This is kind of in the early days of, of, of CrossFit. There would also be bodybuilders in a lot of these really good facilities, some of the best facilities in North America. But there was not a website that they could reference to speak each other's vernacular or to say, hey, did you see this on such and such website? Now, if you're into mainstream team sports in North America, you know, Andrew, I could go to you and say, <clears throat> Uh, you might be a hockey fan. I don't mean to stereotype uh, the Can Canadians, but hey, you might be a hockey fan and you can get your results from ESPN.com and you can spend a lot of time on that site. I might be a basketball fan. Guess what? I'm going to the same website, right? We're using that same resource and we can kind of share in that in that knowledge. There was no resource that had that inclusive approach and could talk to people like they were strength athletes across the board and could treat coverage of all of those disciplines at the same level of quality. And again, I don't want to say that we've cracked the code on quality and that everything Barbin produces is absolutely the best because we are constantly updating our content to try and make it better. But I don't really think anyone was writing for the strength community at the time. They were writing for specific parts of the strength community. And when I say being inclusive, <clears throat> A bodybuilder has different goals than a powerlifter, has different goals than a crossfitter, than a weightlifter, has different goals than a trainer who's working with general population clients. How can you write content that is relevant to all of these people, that is accessible to all of these people, and that all of these people can come together to talk about, uh, and so that you can read the same article as a world-class weightlifter or a novice weightlifter, and all three of you can get something important, vital, maybe newsworthy out of that. So <clears throat> for us, we were saying our approach from the very early stages, and I wrote most of the early articles on Barbin, so I can certainly speak to this, was to say, okay, let's not write for a specific person. Let's write for the strength athlete and the strength enthusiast. And let's write at a quality that they can all appreciate. And sometimes that means not playing inside baseball, right? And not assuming that they're coming with a certain base of knowledge. Because worst case scenario, if they already know something, fine, that's okay. They can skip over that paragraph or they can glance through it, but at least you're giving the context. And I think an important example here is, say we wrote an article on Brian Shaw. Fans of, in 2016, fans of Strongman knew who Brian Shaw was, but not every weightlifter knew who Brian Shaw was. So not every weightlifter knew Brian Shaw's pedigree, knew that you know after 2016, he became a four-time world's strongest man. Right. So someone who is really into strongman might read that article and go, oh, I knew that. Why are they giving this context? I know who Brian Shaw is. I know how many times he's won this competition. But someone who's interested in weightlifting and might be new to strongman might not know that. So how can we give that context and how can we approach this as journalists? And that approach really paid off early because suddenly, literally a few months in to covering these sports after we launched, we were getting cited by Wikipedia. We were getting cited by Sports Illustrated. We were getting cited by ESPN. We were getting cited by a lot of these outlets as a primary or in some cases secondary news source. We were being treated as journalists because that's the approach we took in. Don't assume, you're, <clears throat> assume your reader is smart. Assume your reader is going to be discriminating on the content they want to read, but also don't assume your reader has all of the knowledge heading into any article. And that's a very long-winded way of saying we try to take an inclusive approach when we're writing that content, and that's something that still drives us today. And I mean, this is something that is mirrored in something that we in the industry say a lot of to you know younger, newer coaches trying to build brand. It's write to the end user don't write to impress your peers or your mentors right and fundamentally i think that's a really key thing there's also a mistake a lot of younger newer coaches make particularly with their social media so take that further you know what what would you say to the younger newer coach or your coach who's been around for a while who is trying to build brand and media what, what would you say to them what, what are the important things that they need keep sight of and what are the traps to not fall into? Yeah, I think the first thing is, and this is, I'm actually quoting you here when I say, show your work, show your research, right? Cite your sources, put a bibli bibliography on that. I remember we were, it back in 2016, I remember folks saying that we were a little silly because we took the time to actually have research references and, and bibliographies for mm -hmm. our pieces. People said that we were a little silly in doing that. 
But showing that you've done the research, look, life is an open book test. <clears throat> no one who isn't your buddy, who isn't your gym buddy, is going to be impressed that you can keep all these facts in your head without citing where you got them from. Show your work, show your thought process, make it so that every piece of content you write is clear in its intent, is clear in its research, and is clear in, in how it's built. You know, use use subsections, give backgrounds, show your work. And I think that what a lot of trainers fall into the trap of, and this is something that we've actually started to really work on and focus on, on the breaking muscle side, because we actually acquired breaking muscle in 2021. I'd say that site is more focused on the trainer community or on the community of trainers. It, it has historically been. It's a, it's a very old website at this point. It's over 10 years old. I think the trap that is easy to fall into is like is taking things for granted. And Andrew, I know you are someone in the community, you're someone who I respect a ton of the community for doing this, doesn't take anything at face value and doesn't fall victim to the bro science necessarily. Because even if things are kind of assumed, right? And even if things are assumed for good reason because they're research backed, that's not necessarily going to convince someone who isn't aware of that fact, right? For example, telling folks why uh, you know why you might want to consume protein within 30 minutes of a resistance training workout. Oh, it's just because because everyone knows that. Because everyone knows that is not a reason to believe anything. And there's a lot of merit to showing your work and being armed with the knowledge of where some of these conventionally assumed things came from. And I think you can extrapolate that out to fitness content, to training content, but I think that also has a lot of implications for the profession of training. Because if you're someone who's never worked out a day in your life, who's the trainer you're going to trust more? The person who says, oh, just believe me on this, or the person who says, oh, that's a really good question. Here's actually some evidence as to why that is the case and why I'm telling you this. Obviously, you're going to be biased toward the latter, or at least most people are. So I think you've identified a really cool, the center of the Venn diagram between online fitness content and the ins and outs, the good work of doing in-gym training with clients. That knowledge can be very powerful, but it's much more powerful if you're transparent about why you're using it, how you're using it, where you got it from. And I think there has to be a bit of a line because I think it, you can go too far the other way where you get so technical with your writing. Um, you know, I've worked on projects, collaborated on stuff and, and every once in a while someone will come back to me or, or I mentor a lot of coaches and, you know, whatever they send me is written more like almost like a graduate level textbook than it is, you know, grade five stuff. And, and oftentimes you have to write stuff for a grade five level Oftentimes, the grade five level stuff is simply just more accessible, more readable instead of these big walls and blocks of text, break it up into, into smaller paragraphs and make make the reader's job easier. Don't make the reader's job hard and make them fight their way through it. Give them what they need. And sometimes we have to give them more than a fair, healthy share of what they want to get them what they need too. And it's tricky. For example, one of my biggest pet peeves is we get trainers in the industry, they get kind of elitist and they get really pedantic about shit like this. You know, someone says the word tone. I got a client, you know, this happens all the time. Someone brand new sits down in front of me uh, and says, hey, I, I just don't want to put on too much muscle. I just want to tone up. And trainers cannot help themselves to go, well, actually, tone is not a thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's how you build muscle. Here's how you lose fat, blah, blah, blah. You know what I do? I look at that person, I smile, and I say, I know exactly what you mean. Great. All right, tell me more. Because at the end of the day, I actually don't use the word tone in my marketing, my media. I don't. Mm -hmm. But like all trainers, we damn know, damn well know what they mean when they say it. We know it's actually a real concept, even if it's not necessarily the technical terminology. And you will destroy the trust that you haven't yet earned with that person by making them feel stupid and giving them a lecture to you know, ultimately be totally pedantic. And then when I see trainers post this crap, it's because it's total crap about tone is not a thing on like pithy little social media posts. I look at this stuff and I go, I roll my eyes and it tells me some often smart people are really missing the point on this one. Mm -hmm. You know what? At the end of the day, 
speak their language. And I, and then within that, back yourself up, know your shit, because there are, here's the other problem. There's a lot of people running around masquerading as authorities and experts who will actually cite studies who, and then That's true. That's and now true. there's more of a culture calling this stuff out and that can go good or kind of go bad, but they'll look at the citation bomb that someone will do. And people who around the industry seem to have an air of credibility and then what they're citing is totally not saying what they're claiming it does or irrelevant to the point they're making. Um, I think I think it's called citation bombing. And so some of these people have the air of authority. So it, it can be really challenging. I mean, shit, if it's challenging for trainers to figure out who's reliable to listen to, how does the end consumer feel? So it, I, I think at the end of the day, it's really about trust building. And Barbend has done a really great job of building trust with the community that uses it. Are there any other elements to how you believe you've built that trust. Well, the one thing I just want to yes and you on is is agreeing with that. And also I want to point out when it comes to health and wellness, there is no perfect article. There is no article that a hundred different people will take the exact same thing away from, right? And I think walking that line between not saying anything and making things or between saying things too simplistically and at the other end of the spectrum citation bombing or going overboard you know i i talked to greg knuckles he actually reached out after we announced the acquisition was very congratulatory greg knuckles writes brilliant content and that content is not right for about 90 percent of people who read barbent right it's it's just and greg himself will admit that he's written millions of words they are dense they really dig into the research, and that content is not right for everyone. And he's going to be the first to admit that. But it's really extraordinarily valuable content. And so for us, it is a constant dance to walk that line and figure out on a per-topic basis, what is the level that is going to have the greatest impact and the impact that we want it to have online? Because we don't write every single piece of content on Barbend and say, okay, we want a million people to read this. There are some, like if it's World's Strongest Man results or Olympia results, right? We do want a million people to read it. And we've had articles that have gotten millions of impressions, but there are some articles and there's some content where our focus is narrower. So the vernacular is going to be different, the reading level, if you will. Uh, so, there is that, uh, but to answer your more recent question, what else did we do to build that tr- credibility and trust? We did something really risky at the beginning, which was to focus heavily on news. A lot of people know us for our training content now, for our uh, content like like content like you would write for Barbend, Andrew, right? Um, or they know us for our, our, our product reviews, or they know us for um, some of our op-eds, or they know us because Dr. Connor Heffernan wrote a really in-depth uh, piece explaining the history of some of a really cool concept in, in strength, you know? Um, but our bread and butter the first few years was news content. And it was a risk because there wasn't a proven outlet that existed that was financially stable or that was profitable. Basically, there was no profitable business that was writing just strength news content, right? There was nothing we could point to and say, oh, we can actually make that work as a business. So we took a risk on it and we're like, okay, we're going to be the first. And for a while, we're probably going to be the only producing this volume of content. Now, it's a risk because of the things I just outlined, but it was also a benefit because it allowed us to build credibility because we just became obsessed with getting everything right. I'm not going to say we never had to print some, you know, correction. I'm never going to say that I, ne- I'm not going to say I never had to write some editor's note to say, Hey, you know, this factoid we got wrong. We've made that correction, but we were obsessed with being as accurate as possible and being the most accurate resource online when it came to news in the strength space. And if we could not verify something, we just didn't publish it. So for the first few years, when other folks started catching on and started writing this strength sports news as well, they started beating us and they would publish things faster than us because we just refused to publish anything that could not be triple checked. And because of that, and because a lot of our early competitors got stuff wrong, it allowed us to build credibility, not only with readers, not only with athletes, but with sports governing bodies and with other outlets who started linking to us as primary results sources. And there's a reason that you'll find Barbin reporters with boots on the ground 
at World's Strongest Man every year. There's a reason that when the Olympics roll around, the first site that gets linked to for weightlifting results is Barbed. There is a reason we're the official media partner of USA Weightlifting and we're a media provider for World Paralympic Powerlifting because we have an unwavering commitment to getting things as accurate as possible. That's not to say that we bat a thousand. No outlet does. The New York Times <clears throat> prints corrections every week, right? But if we get something even the tiniest bit off, or if it's presented in a way that is not as accurate as possible, we are going to turn the ship around to correct it. And because of that, we're often not the fastest to publish. But we are absolutely obsessed with being the most accurate source. And focusing on that and focusing on news content for the first few years of our existence allowed us to build that credibility so that when we started writing other things and we broadened the top the the categories that we were covering, people looked at us and they said, Oh, I bet that's accurate. For example, we didn't really write about bodybuilding for the first four years of Barbin's existence, for the first four and a half years of Barbin's existence. But when the 2020 Olympia rolled around, that weird Olympia that was kind of in December, I think it was in December of that year, they had to change it around due to COVID. When that rolled around, we got an insane amount of traffic and traction. And that was really the first bodybuilding contest we we covered it in a concerted, focused way because people saw Barbend covering it and they said, oh, it's got to be of this certain level of quality. And I do remember, and I won't name names, getting notes from other outlets in the space, from some bodybuilding outlets in the space. And they said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, you guys are covering bodybuilding now because they they knew that we were going to bring that commitment to accuracy. Not that they weren't, not that they didn't have that, but they knew we were going to keep them accountable because we were going to keep ourselves accountable and hold ourselves to very high standards. So uh, again, a long-winded way of answering your very good question, but we really wanted to make sure that our process for news was tight and was best in class, if not fastest, before we started writing other types of content. And that built our credibility early on. There's another principle at play here and trainers can sort of extrapolate how useful this is, but understanding it, I think is is useful in the grander scheme of things. It's the network effect of being the space where all of these organizations are, are coming through you guys. Um, all of the users, the consumers of the news are coming through you and it's like it's your ESPN analogy is a really good one, right? We generally in these spaces, we don't tend to see, you know, 30 to 40 smaller disparate sort of sources of information about anything. Usually people will gravitate in one place. A very good example of a network effect is the fact that virtually, I think all online auction stuff goes through eBay because you have the network effect of having the max amount of sellers, and the max amount of buyers in one place. It just, it's the way these things evolve almost any social media platform tends to function based on a network effect. They're more powerful and they're more resilient based on it. Anytime that a, a new social media app has tried to pop up and replicate something that was re that it was already existing, it's generally failed. Anything that's popular was pretty much kind of a new thing. So TikTok initially started out as fundamentally different than Instagram. Now Instagram has a history of going and taking pieces from other upstarts like Snapchat, that's where it innovated the stories and arguably destroyed Snapchat because it did the stories better than Snapchat did. And I think fundamentally its platform was just better and Snapchat just never, it's still floating around. It's sort of a niche thing, but it, it never reached, you know, I, I think super popularity. Um, like there's all sorts of things that are trying is people are talking about the death of Twitter now for a while, Elon buying it, blah, 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 whatever. And there's all sorts of other versions of it, whether it's you know, your, your parlors and your truth socials. And I'm not going to get into that stuff or if it's Mastodon, which whatever. Right. And, and, and I think all of these things are very ideologically sort of very, very skewed, which is part of the problem. But at the end of the day, Twitter is the one with the user base and it's the one with the critical mask and the network effect. So do you think there are any valuable lessons here for trainers, especially the way that they approach their media or their work? What can I, they I, I certainly think so. And some of this comes from early conversations I had well before the days of Barbend uh, with Tony Gentlecore, um, who Good at the friend, time yep. when he was still, when he was, I mean, Tony's fantastic. And, and I don't want to sound too biased. I know you're friends with Tony. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in strength. And, you know, when Tony was 
still with with Cressy Sports Performance full time. Um, I remember I, I went with Jordan Syatt. We went to an early right. yeah. uh, early Cressy. This is probably 2012. An early Cressy Sports Performance. Jordan might have still been in college for all I know. Uh, <laughs> this like symposium, and you know, um, drove up with some folks to to Boston. And I remember Tony saying something. That I don't even remember if it was in his presentation or it was just something he was he was talking to when you know we kind of had water cooler talk between sessions, and he mentioned how you know you your first client is your most important client and your second client is also your most important client and your third client is also your most important client because those people are network amplifiers, and for trainers who started building their early careers as Tony did before right before the age of social media. Right. Tony is someone who is knowledgeable enough and savvy enough and young enough to know what training is like in the age of social media and in the influencer generation. But he also remembers the before times. He remembers when your best marketing tool was your clients. Right. Your best marketing tool, the, the best market you could buy was one of your clients having results, having a good experience, and telling a friend, a family member, a coworker to go train with you. And I see our early content. The same way, because we had our early users, you know, if, if someone came to Barbin in the very early days and they got turned off by that content or the content was inaccurate or it was unreadable or it was low quality, chances are they would never come back to Barbin, right? So we had this very tight window at the beginning such that we wanted to get that network effect, but we didn't have this existing fan base. We didn't have this existing readership. And we knew we really had to pull out all the stops and we had to throw our best our best fastballs at the very beginning. And I think for trainers, understanding that when you're just getting started off or you're training a new demographic of clientele, quality work with them and results-based work with them is going to be a network amplifier, right? Barbend is not dissimilar to, I mean, we don't have clients we're not hands-on training clients but we have readers now we just happen to have you know 30 plus million of them right but if they have a bad experience look the landscape is much different than it was seven years ago they actually have other places to go there are a lot of places that write content similarly to barbed now they might not write the full breadth of content that we do but guess what you know seven years ago men's health wasn't, and I don't mean to call it men's health specifically, but it's just one example. They weren't writing a lot of strength sports news, but they sure as heck are now, right? And they're still a bigger site than Barbend. So if our readers have a bad experience, they can go elsewhere. And I, I liken it to kind of building your early base and your early network amplifiers. And I think the same can be said for trainers, especially when you're moving into a new community, training at a new location or training a new demographic. The work you do early on is going to have a very powerful butterfly effect years and years and years later. And Andrew, I'm sure that if you mapped out your coaching tree and your coaching pedigree as a trainer, you not only have clients who are referrals of clients, you have clients who are referrals of clients who are referrals of clients who are referrals of clients at this point. I'll tell a story just to that effect. So it's funny. So I trained my client, Teresa, today. Teresa's been with me active now 11 years. I've been doing this 12 and a half years. She's been with me 11 and a half years. One of the first clients I got was a young man named Kyle. He'd want to draw, was given a free year membership. He was sold on 12 sessions. He was assigned to me. I was brand new. We headed off. Pretty quickly, his best friend came to train with me. Ryan, who's to this day, one of my closest friends. I was at his wedding, uh, trained with me, and then just kept going and going until he moved away. His brother laughed at him for spending the money on training. Pretty soon, his brother came to train with me, train with me for 36 sessions. And then they brought their mom, who was, thought she wouldn't be strong enough. Teresa's like this iconic woman who's now like in her early 60s. And all the younger women at the old gym just would like, are in awe of what she was capable of. So again, Teresa and between Ryan and Teresa, they've fed, so I, I've trained uh, the boy's dad, Teresa's husband. And then I've trained well over 20 extended family members, friends of the family, um, co-workers. Um, I, I had a boot camp where Teresa was bringing in a whole bunch of her people. And I probably done, I, I would be shocked if it's not 1500 sessions just from that one referral tree alone. And I have at least one other referral tree that started similarly that is still alive to this day after 12 years. 
And th this is absolutely the truth. And I see a lot of trainers get a little too complacent, a little too quickly where they stop. Yeah. You're training the same client for years or, or however long. And that person's form is pretty consistent. So they stop paying as much attention to studying and watching every rep. And do you want to know how I learned a lot of things I learned about trading? Sure. I read T-Nation from a very early time in my career. And, you know, I would get into really smart people like Tony Gentilcourt early and the, you know, that generation of the industry, but I studied how people moved mm -hmm. and I watched and I, we're talking about, you know, what a hundred thousand probably individual repetitions. And if your eyes are studying the way that people move, you figure a lot of stuff out. And this is something I think a lot of people are are missing. It's something that you can't quite get if you rush too quickly to online coaching. And I don't begrudge online coaching. I think there's a different skill set to learning how to do it well. And it's why the industry traditionally has said, and I think this is gatekeeping stuff that's misguided now. Oh, you need a certain number of years, you know, on the floor before you can coach online. You've earned the right. Well, that's not realistic because more than ever, people are going online quickly. But I do think there's so much to be said for not taking for granted the opportunity you have to get to study human movement for hours on end with the person in front of you and just training yourself to be that attentive versus being distracted because that person happens to be just doing the same reps over and over. You can train humans are pattern recognition machines. One of the greatest skills you will ever learn as a trainer is the pattern recognition. Every trainer has had this experience where they end up cueing something because they sense something almost, it becomes a sixth sense where they just know something is going to change within the person's form. And it's just that, that you're so quick at pattern recognition that you are aware of it before your mind consciously perceives it and you automatically will, will coach and cue something just to keep the form from breaking down, right? Especially if you've done that much time doing stuff. And this shows up in all, their, all sorts of other walks of life. But one of the most important skills not to take for granted as a trainer, and a lot of people don't even think about this, is simply getting the reps in and becoming so good at pattern recognition. And then it will show up in other ways through conversation about nutrition and habit and lifestyle. Um, and don't be in such a rush. I, I think there, anybody who's kind of came through in my generation, certainly the generation that was a little bit before your Tony Gentilcore types, you almost always notice the people who've stuck around. There's a survivorship bias in the ones that have lasted, but I think there's a lesson here. It's illustrative. I think our generation, which was not raised through social media, has a dedication to the craft and, and really has always studied the person in front of them. And if you know any coaches who are from this era or you yourself, you'll notice that there is an incredible strength of relationship there. That's not to say that trainers since then don't do this. But I think there are more competing things for your attention early. And I think in some ways there are opportunities through social media and other forms of ways of building business that are, are incredible opportunities that maybe my generation didn't have early on, right? But it can come at, I think, a subtle cost. So hopefully that makes sense with people. And, you know, I'm going to let people draw their own conclusions beyond that. So let's let's clue up with this thought how does barbend intend to serve the coaching community going forward you mentioned breaking muscles definitely for yeah. coaches you know and obviously sure. with the acquisition you now have greater resources you can do more but the listener how does what what does a listener listener gain from going and starting to pay more attention to barbend and i mean here's another thing too is Barbed has a, I, we were talking off air and, and my editor there, you, you know, who works with you, Andrew Gutman is one of the most professional, exacting, demanding editors that I've ever worked with. Probably the most, and I've worked with a lot of really good editors. So, you know, are there opportunities for coaches with Barbend? You know, what would you say to them, but how do you ultimately serve and help coaches with their careers, with your media? I, great series of questions. I'm going to actually, actually answer them in reverse. <clears throat> as far as opportunities with, with Barbend, we have hundreds of contributors that we work with between Barbin and Breaking Muscle. And they're really under the same, they're the same company. Barbin and Breaking Muscle are, are sister websites and they're different websites and they also have different editorial teams. I want to point that out. You know, um, Breaking Muscle, the uh, person steering the ship editorially over there is Chris Colucci, formerly of T Nation. 
actually, who's a name that a lot of people know. And he has been a huge part as we relaunched Breaking Muscle with renewed focus, but not a different focus. And when I say Breaking Muscle is a great resource for trainers, that's not to say Barbend isn't a great resource for trainers. But Breaking Muscle has kind of always been by and for the training community and in many ways continues to be so, just with renewed focus and broadened focus. There are opportunities to get involved with Barbend if folks want to, because we still accept new contributors and work with new contributors on a quarterly basis, what I will say is it's gotten harder than ever because as more people know about Barbend, it's gone from me in 2016 begging people to write for us to us getting literally hundreds of inbound contributor requests every week. And in order for for those requests to stand out, they need to stand out. I, I actually recorded a podcast with Andrew Gutman about how to get our attention if you're a contributor, and I, I can I can send you that that link after Andrew, and and it's about forty minutes about like, hey, here's how you pitch outlets like Barbend. So there definitely is opportunity. But you have to be shipshape when it comes to your pitch. You can't just send an email. You can't ever send an email in this industry anymore saying, hey, I want to write for you. What are the next steps? It's not going to work. Um, so there's opportunity, but do your research. Look up the podcast I did with Andrew Gutman, this exact, exacting, very professional editor, where he literally says, hey, if you want to get my attention, here's how you do it. As far as the services that we are providing and the resources we're providing for trainers, we're going to continue to produce written content content at increasingly high standards at an, at an increasingly fast pace. And when I say increasingly fast pace, I don't mean just producing new content. I mean, updating our old content so that it's always best in class. I think a lot of people don't realize that we are constantly updating our old content. It's actually some weeks, a majority of our editorial output is updating, <clears throat> refurbishing, um, improving a lot of our existing content. So that is thing number one, I'd say. So the resources that people use day in and day out that we get thousands of hits on every day, they're going to get better over time, right? And that content is going to perform better over time because of that. The other thing I think I really want to emphasize is post-acquisition. I think media companies have a limit. And I mean this in an economic standpoint when they're independent. Because media is cyclical. In fitness, media is seasonal. One Google update can really affect your bottom line from month to month in the course of a calendar year several times. Us being part of a larger media company, and remarkably little has changed about Barbend since we were acquired, since we were acquired, by the way, 90% of our staff, like nothing has changed about their day-to-day. -day. They're just doing what they do, and they have more budget to do it, and they have more resources to do it. I think what you're going to start seeing, and there's some stuff I can say and some stuff I can't say, is later on in 2023, you're going to see a multimedia, more multimedia approach to how we produce this content. I think you're going to start seeing more in the video realm that's relevant to trainers. I think you're going to start seeing more in the podcast realm that's relevant to trainers. I think you're going to start seeing more rich, dynamic content within our written content, new formats of articles, um, new longer form pieces, um, new elements in that written content that frankly, we just had a bandwidth limitation on before. Our team is already growing. Our full-time team has already grown since the acquisition. Right. This is not an acquisition where it was like, oh, they're buying Barbend and they just want the website. 100% of our team members went over and we've already hired new full time people because we are really keen on putting our foot down on the gas and accelerating growth in the quality of content we produce, the type of content we produce, the breadth of content, content we produce, and the amount of content we produce. And so, you know, the fastest growing elements of our content, or at least the, the type of content we're going to be producing more of, is not necessarily news because we're producing already more strength sports news than anyone else. More content that is relevant to trainers, that's in-depth, that's research-based, more op-eds, right? More smart, thought-based or idea-driven content from people like you, Andrew, which we were talking about a little bit before this, you're going to start seeing a lot more of that on Barbend as we get deeper into 2023 and as we're actually able to leverage uh, the new resources uh, post-acquisition. So I'm absolutely thrilled about it. And there, I wish I could say more specifics, but I'm not CEO anymore. So I'd get in a lot of trouble if I just gave away the entire <laughs> playbook right now. Right. 
you're good. And I mean, it as we discussed off air, it is my intention to direct a bit more of my bandwidth, which is limited for writing, to contribute to you guys to best support the brand and make use of kind of my style and skills. Um, and, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, not just creating opportunities for other coaches, but to give coaches the skills. So um, when I, I have a presentation on developing fitness writing and developing your career through fitness writing, and there's a big section on getting published. And Andrew Gutman was one of the people that I polled. I, I asked several of my editors for little bits and pieces. And one of the things, and, and Eb Samuel from Men's Health, one of the things that kept coming through was the fact that publications are in fact looking for talented people. But yeah. they, you guys know when someone is out to self is self-serving their goals are well i i want to i i get asked this all the time by a lot of people who think well it would be great if i wrote for muscle fitness or, or t nation they have no background in writing they've invested no time or effort into actually becoming a skilled writer haven't read books on writing haven't written for their own website yet and that's what i tell people go do those things first now if you have already another legacy a very very strong legacy as an educator as a as a teacher as a presenter in those sort of realms, and maybe your, back, your background is, or you've accomplished a lot in your career, then there can be a pathway, as long as you're still willing to put in quality work. But then it becomes, all right, do you know the brand? Do you know what the brand really cares about, what the voice is, who the readers are? And can you turn around and give such a thoughtful pitch that serves the brand? And it, that's the way you get in. It also helps if you build other points of credibility along the way, which means having a body of writing. And, you know, people often ask me how I got my start in writing. I started writing for my own website. My best friend built a website for me. I wanted to start writing. Couldn't build one myself because I uh, certainly am not great at that sort of thing. And through my podcast, kept interviewing people who've done a lot of this stuff. And then we brought Danny Sugar of Teen Nation onto the podcast years ago, like over four years ago. And seeing that I was already writing, Danny turned around and asked if I would come right for T Nation. That's how it all got started. And virtually every step of the way, I rarely ask if I could go somewhere. Usually it's someone introduces me or creates a connection or someone is in my inbox or, or asking uh, because I built all these things. And it, it's not, I mean, it, it looks nice in retrospect and hey, it worked out pretty cool. But I do think that people could be a bit more proactive, but you've got to do it in such a thoughtful way that it, it's not obviously self-serving it's mutually beneficial and it brings a hell of a lot of value to the brand like barben so if you guys want to go down that path understand barben consume barben share and support barben and then learn so much about it that you can come around and give a pitch that's better than maybe the the editors would put together something itself themselves i couldn't have said it better myself the one quick addendum i would add to that because I agree with everything you said wholeheartedly, Andrew, is make it such that we have aligned goals. If you're pitching an outlet, make it such that the goals are so clearly aligned, it's very difficult for an editor to say no. And even if they do say no, they're going to remember you in a positive way. And the best way to align goals is to make it clear that you're not in it to up your personal profile, you're not in it for the backlinks, you're not in it for the money, Make it clear that you're in it because you want to write the best quality content possible, and here's how you're going to do that. Because our goal as a publication is to publish the best quality content possible. And so we love working with writers who make it very clear that their goal is to produce that top quality content. If you can convince us that that's your goal and it's aligned with our goal, there's a very good chance we're going to find place, we're going to find room to work together. If not in the here and now, then just a little bit down the road. And if someone had, you know, if, if you, if the person listening has put in the time, the effort studies the writing and Barbend is the destination of choice, you work really hard at it. You know what? You can really build a successful brand. When people look and see that you've written for one of the bigger credible publications in our space, it opens a tremendous amount of doors, right? And that's exactly how my career happened. And, and that was what I piggybacked off of to grow social media. People look at the social media side of things and how well it grew. One of the most fundamental aspects was the backing of the fact that I was writing for yeah. many of the largest 
publications in fitness and progressively more of them. That gives a type of credibility and authority that simply just putting out short form social media content can never quite replicate. It is phenomenal to be very good at short form social media content, but I, I think it's an absolute must that you have more to it. People will go to your social media profile, like a post, and then they're looking at what else you got. What else? Give me a reason to follow you. What other, and, and I hate this lens, but humans think in terms of status. What are the other status flags? And we, I, I think credibility and authority are way better lenses. And I, I tend to look at it that way. What are the flags of credibility and authority that someone's going to go, I, I want to follow this person because I believe that they're, um, again, I don't like the word expert, but I think we know where we're going with this stuff. And if you are very serious about wanting to go this path and you take the long view and you're, you have a being of service mindset, then Barbend is a great publication to aspire to, to work with. I am very proud to have contributed and I look forward to doing more. Where can people find more of you personally? Because I mean, I know you also are very steeped in like the the whiskey world. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole. And, and, hey, as soon as we get off air, I'm taking David downstairs on video and showing him my bar. If you guys are interested in learning more, send me a message on Instagram. I will literally like send you a, a picture of my bar. Uh, but where do people like follow you personally? But also, you know, Barbend and and your other resources there. For sure. Thanks so much for asking. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at David Thomas Tao. You're going to get a smattering of fitness, whiskey, and falconing on that account. I'm at on Twitter at d underscore tau, where I'm I'm pretty active these days. And then to um, you can also reach out to me, David at barbend.com. I love getting emails from folks. I'll just put that right out there. And then you know, obviously follow along with barbend.com, follow along with the Barbend podcast, and follow along uh, at breakingmuscle.com. And we'll have some, like I said, potentially some more podcasts launching later this year, possibly some more video series launching later this year. So really excited to connect with people uh, on not new platforms because we're on those platforms, but in, in new ways on those platforms. And Andrew, thanks so much for having me today. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on. You just gained a Twitter follower because as much as we're friends on the other platforms, I, we weren't connected on Twitter. Uh, there's so many of them. Uh, everybody listening, you know, if I'm bringing someone on here, it's a very strong endorsement of who they are, the quality of their work. Uh, please go check out more of what Barbin's doing. Please go and go follow David, because again, it's it's one of those points of contact where you never know. You may be at an event like you and I were introduced at you know, an event just in passing, right? I wasn't even expecting that. Super cool. And those sort of things make a difference too. And if by chance anybody has found me and my podcast through David's media, well, if you take a look through my guests, like not even just the recent ones, but the library of people I work with, I introduced this as 126, but there's 150 episodes prior to that uh, with my old co-host as a good friend. And it includes John Berardi, all like, it's just the who's who of the industry. And I'm very proud of the, the lineup of incredible people I've had. So you may want to stick around and check out some of these other people. And if everything goes according to plan with scheduling, Eb Samuel will be on within a few weeks. And he's a great guy as well. And a good friend of David's. Guys, thank you so much, David. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you.